I will do now what I must, he said. This at least is plain. The evil of the ring is already at work, even in the company, and the ring must leave them before it does more harm. I will go alone. Some I cannot trust, and those I can trust are too dear to me. The Fellowship of the Ring, the Breaking of the Fellowship. Megaran and Melon, and welcome back to Interesting Tales from Tolkien, a Podmoot. I'm Mel. And I'm Kristen. And this week we are covering The Fellowship of the Ring, The Breaking of the Fellowship. Mel, we have finished the book. I can't believe it. It seems like we've been on this journey forever, but also like we just barely started. I I can't believe we're already at the end of Fellowship. I know. I'm feeling the same. We've been going for nearly a year and we've already covered The Hobbit and The Fellowship. I know logically I just have to count the chapters to see how long it'll take us, but at the same time I thought it'll be next year before we finished. <laughs> I know at this point in the podcast we always do recaps and you've been so faithful about catching our listeners up from page one until where we are. I thought I'd give you a little bit of a break. And now that we finished the book, I feel a little bit more confident, like maybe I could try my hand at a summary of book one. So you want to count me in and let's see how I do? Yep. Be ready in three, two, one. On Bilbo's 111st birthday, he throws a party and pieces out of the Shire, leaving the ring to his nephew Frodo. Gandalf tells Frodo it's history and he's got to leave. So he sells Bag End and heads east with Sam, Merry, and Pippin. They are pursued by the nine Black Riders of Sauron and assisted by Gildor, Farmer Maggot, Tom Bombadil, and Goldberry. They narrowly escape Old Man Willow and Barrow White, make it to Bree, where Strider agrees to join them, and Barleyman gives them Gandalf's letter. They head to Weathertop, where the riders attack them and wound Frodo. The party escapes through the mountains, meeting Glorfindel, who gets them safely across Rivendell and drowns the nine black horses. I needed an extra six seconds, but I'm pretty proud of that recap. A little bit over time, but you did really, really well. And I just had to get Gildor's name in there because he's been just slightly left out of the stories for a while. So Gildor Tribute 101 here. But thank you so much for covering that for me, Kristen. I now am going to go and cover book two. Do you want to count me in? All right, Mel, on your mark, get set, go. So Frodo is taken to Rivendell where he's healed by Lord Elrond from the stab wound from Weathertop really bad. And after that, they hold a council where we got such an info dump. That was such a big chapter, longest in the entire series, in fact. Anyways, they form a fellowship of nine party members, which include all four hobbits, and they begin a quest off to Mordor, but the party's not going to stick together. That's told from us from the start. Anyway, Gandalf died. They went to Lorien where they got awesome gifts, and then they went on the river. But now the time is coming near where they're going to have to decide which way to go. Just under the wire. Just under the wire. (laughs) Now our listeners need to know what to expect for the rest of this episode. So let me reset my timer here. All right. Your 30 seconds to summarize this. The final chapter of The Fellowship of the Ring starts in three, two, one. The company rests at Parthgalen to decide where to go. Frodo can't decide, so he goes off by himself to think. Boromir follows him and tries to convince him to go to Minas Tirith and wield the Ring of Power to defend Middle-earth. When Frodo declines, Boromir tries to steal the ring, so Frodo puts it on and escapes. He sees visions of war and the Eye of Sauron 
Still unsure how to proceed, the company discovers his absence and Boromir confesses. Sam is the only one who could find Frodo's path and the two hobbits sneak away together in a boat to the next phrase of their adventure. Wow, good timing. Okay, so I didn't get my predictions right about what was going to happen, but this chapter just slayed me. It was so good. And it was all I could do not to pick up the two towers and just dive in. But I'm, I'm being very attentive to our process here. So the week after next, as soon as we finish recording our wrap up episode next week, you can dive right into the two towers. So we don't have any new characters this week, but we do find out finally what's going to happen with Frodo and the ring. So we start this chapter with Aragorn having the company set up camp on the right side of the bank. He says that they're going to rest for the night and deal with everything in the morning. During the night, him and Frodo sit together for a little while. And Frodo's like, well, why are you here? It's not your watch. But Aragorn's like, I don't know. Something's not right. So they draw Sting and there is a faint glow which reveals that there are orcs nearby. But whether they're on this side or the other side of the river, they're not entirely sure. And then it says the day came like fire and smoke. And, I mean, we've known as chapter by chapter goes by, we're getting closer and closer to Mordor, but we are just, like, we are just right on the edge now. And uh, uh, we are nowhere near Mordor. Have you looked at a map? Uh, all right, I'll figure it out sooner or later. <laughs> But we are certainly near to danger, and it's not just the orcs. I mean, we are just, like, right there on the border of the enemy's land. And the party is still in conversation about what to do. And even as Aragorn calls them together, they start going around the circle, and they basically are going to do what they've already said. Boromir is going to keep going to Minas Tirith, and everybody else is going to wait for Frodo. And Frodo needs to take some time to himself before he can make the decision. It says Aragorn looked at him, and I love this, with kind pity. And he says, you will have an hour and you shall be alone. They're all going to stay there, but he is not to stray too far away. He pretty much needs to be within calling distance. So Frodo goes and Sam notices that while everybody else sort of stays to their own thoughts, Boromir is just watching Frodo walk away. And we've been seeing these mentions of Boromir just obsessing over Frodo, staring at him, getting close to him, following him. And sure enough, Frodo heads out by himself and he climbs up to a wide flat stone and sits where he can overlook the river and presumably have some time to think for himself. And then he realizes that he's being watched, and it's Boromir. I love how this scene is written so much, just this rising tension you feel as the two characters talk. Boromir explains to Frodo that he was afraid for him, and that none of them should wander alone, very much not Frodo. And he pretty much says, well, since I found you, let's just have a chat. Where there are so many, all speech becomes a debate without end, but two together may perhaps find wisdom. And he has said that even though it was very clearly delineated that Frodo needs time 
by himself to think, Boromir says that, well, my heart's heavy, so maybe I can come and talk to you and I'll feel better. And I'm like, dude, that is so rude. You just want to unload your emotional problems on Frodo when he's supposed to be thinking. I feel like it's a little bit more manipulative than that. He doesn't want to just unload. He wants to convince Frodo of what way to turn, and that is to turn his way and come to Ministereth. Absolutely, that's what he wants. But the way he describes it is, he's like, oh, my heart is heavy. I need to like, I need to talk to somebody. Rude. Frodo pretty much says, I don't need anyone to help me. I know what I need to do, but I'm afraid to do it. He already knows the decision. And Boromir says, well, don't you just suffer needlessly? I just want to help you. I'll counsel you. Why don't you take my counsel? And I love this line so, so much. And Frodo Primus says, I know what you're going to say. And it would seem like wisdom, but for the warning of my heart. And this is what Gandalf and every other advisor of Frodo has been telling him, is to stay true to himself, continue to keep his own counsel throughout this quest. And sure enough... The more that Boromir starts to talk, the worse the advice appears to be. I mean, we've already known that he's wanting the ring for himself. But this whole scene, the more it unfolds, yet again, we see that Boromir wants to use the ring to become the leading power of Middle-earth so that supposedly the men of Minas Tirith could then defeat the enemy. But what he really means is that the men of Minas Tirith would then be the badasses of Middle-earth. I don't think that's what he means, actually. I Honestly, the way I've always interpreted it is Boromir, for all his faults, he loves his people and he desperately wants them to be safe. And what he believes is, and he goes on to say it, um, I'm jumping a bit ahead, but he says, true-hearted men, they will not be corrupted. We of Ministereth have been staunch through long years of trial. We do not desire the power of wizard lords, only strength to defend ourselves, strength in a just cause. And he's pretty much saying, my people are dying. If I had the ring, if you came with me to Ministereth with the ring, we could use it for good to defeat the enemy and to protect everyone the line actually I really want to focus on for a moment, which is a bit of a conversation outside the book, is, is it not a strange fate that we should suffer so much fear and doubt for so small a thing? I just find that a really powerful sentiment, like these small things in our world that control so much and give so much power. And in this book, obviously, it's represented by the ring, this tiny little ring that gets lost so easily by people, Gollum, and yet it holds so much power over everyone's fates. And he's basically got himself trapped into the same thinking that we've already seen in a number of other conversations. Most recently, Sam asking Galadriel, well, why don't you wield the ring of power and make things right? And whether it's to save his people or to wield the power, like it, in this case, it really doesn't matter because what he's failing to remember is that as soon as somebody uses the power of the ring, they become the next Dark Lord, basically. And when he's talking about what could not a warrior do in this hour, a great leader, 
What could not Aragorn do? Or if he refuses, why not Boromir? The ring would give me power of command. How I would drive the hosts of Mordor and all men would flock to my banner. So basically, he's forgetting the danger of using the power and only focusing on the victory that he could have. Exactly. And Boromir starts to just sort of rant, and it's not even all written. It says Boromir strode up and down, speaking ever more loudly. Almost he seemed to have forgotten Frodo. It talks about how he has plans for these alliances and victories and how he'll cast down Mordor and be a mighty king, benevolent and wise. And then all of a sudden he just turns and he says, and they tell us to throw it away. I do not say destroy it. And you can see he's like going downhill more and more as this conversation goes on. Well, and we've seen this already where even though he has never even touched the ring, he's already being seduced by its power and under its influence in a way. And he wants Frodo to come with him. He pretty much says, at least come to Minas Tirith. It's not far. And if nothing else from there, you can make a move. You need rest if you must go to Mordor. And he comes towards Frodo and Frodo steps away. And it says, I love this. Why are you so unfriendly? I don't know, Boromir. Maybe because you're big and intimidating and talking very, very unhinged. And it's a good thing for Frodo that Boromir has finally laid all his cards on the table. Because Frodo says, no, actually, I'm just afraid. I know what the right thing is to do. I'm just afraid to do it. But I'm glad that I know what's up with you because I am even more resolved. My mind is clearer now, he says. So this little chat that they've had has just shored up his mind about the next step. I do like that Boromir, as he's going downhill, like starts negotiating. He says, at least lend me the ring. Let me at least try. And it gets worse and worse. And he says, it is by our own folly that the enemy will defeat us. Running willfully to death and ruining our cause. If any mortals have claim to the ring, it is the men of Numenor, not halflings. It is not yours, save by unhappy chance. It might have been mine. It should be mine give it to me. His fair and pleasant face was hideously changed. A raging fire was in his eyes and he's like launching himself at Frodo. At this point, Frodo has no other choice but to put the ring on and disappear and try to get away from the attacking Boromir. And I really love what happens here because as soon as Frodo puts the ring on, Boromir is still crazy out of his mind but the power of the ring starts to loosen its hold on him and he begins to gradually come back to his senses and then he realizes, oh my gravy, what have I done? And he starts calling, Frodo, Frodo, I I didn't mean it. I was overtaken by madness. Mm, Yep, I think it's once the ring is away because it says there was no answer. Frodo did not even hear his cry. So I think by the time the madness lets go, Frodo's well gone. Exactly. Frodo just starts running and he ends up running to the summit of Amunhen, which is the Hill of Seeing. As he's there, he finds the high seat. He sits down on the chair and we get this 
beautiful description of him looking out from the hill of eyes, just as the men of Numenor would have once done, and looking at all the lands around him. But he's also seeing them with this sort of new sight that he's got with the realization of what he's got to do. He's taking in the whole view, the the 360 degree view, which can I say how much I want to see this in the movie? Because I'm sure this is a hell of a shot. Yeah, it's great. Isengard, the great river curling and plunging over Rauros, the seabirds. But everywhere he looked, he saw signs of war. Yeah, some of the wars that have already happened, like they mentioned, the destruction of Hosgiliath, and then others that are ongoing. We, we see that the enemy has been busy while they've been walking. And he looks out and he can see Minas Tirith and it says, but against Minas Tirith was set another fortress, greater and more strong. The grinning gates of Minas Morgul and the haunted mountains... And it looked upon Gorgoroth, the valley of terror in the land of Mordor. And it goes on to say, all hope left him. And then Sauron sees him. And we've known that's the danger, right? The longer you wear the ring, the easier it is. And and the closer Sauron can get to figuring out where Frodo is. And it's described a fierce, eager will was there. It leaped towards him, almost like a finger. He felt it searching for him. Very soon it would nail him down and know exactly where he was. He heard himself crying out, Never, never, or was it verily I come, I come to you. And then another voice speaks to his mind and says, Take it off, take it off, fool, take it off, take off the ring. And he finds the strength to take it off. And then he's back to his own senses for a bit and finally has the courage to do what he's been thinking he really should do all along, which is he cannot endanger the rest of the fellowship anymore. He's got to take the ring himself and do the quest alone. I love how he sort of pulls it apart. He's like, some I cannot trust and those I can trust are too dear to me. And he lists them out in his mind and thinks about how Boromir has fallen to evil. He starts heading back towards the rest of the company And he hears these cries and he figures that they're looking for him. And he realizes he's probably been away for a lot longer than he thinks. He also realizes that he can't tell them that he's leaving. And he puts the ring back on once more to try and sneak around so he can leave. We head back over to the company who's waiting for him to come back. And they're still going round and round debating where they should go. And they don't agree, even without Frodo and Boromir there. They're still divided about what should happen next. And Aragorn is trying to sort of keep it together, and he's talking about the different ways, and he's pretty much talking about how he wishes he knew what Gandalf had wanted and he really misses him. And Legolas says, Grievous is our loss, yet we must needs make up our minds without his aid. Why cannot we decide and so help Frodo? And that's when, of course, they vote on where they want to go. And then what happens? Aragorn tries to divvy up the company himself because he pretty much says, it doesn't matter if nine of us go, eight of us go, one of us goes, three of us go. 
The venture is desperate, as much so for eight as for three or two or one alone. If you should let me choose, then I should appoint three companions, Sam, who could not bear it otherwise, and Gimli and myself. And he's going to send Boromir back to Minas Tirith and have him take Merry and Pippin and kind of say to, and says to Legolas, you choose which company do you want to join? But before Legolas can choose, Merry and Pippin are like, no, this is not what we're agreeing to. Well, we keep seeing throughout the book that people keep trying to kick Merry and Pippin off in a different direction. And, and they're just not having it. If they would get to pick, they would be joined at the hip with Frodo as well. This is when they realize Boromir's missing because Sam interjects and says, I don't think you understand my master at all. He isn't hesitating about which way to go. What's the good of Ministereth anyway to him? I mean, begging your pardon, Master Boromir, looks over and there is no Boromir. And Sam goes on to explain that it has been clear from the second chapter of this book what the quest is. Get the ring into the cracks of doom. And there's no way Frodo's not going to do that. The only thing that's in his way is what we've already heard Frodo admit himself, which is that he's too frightened to start. And I love that Sam is the one who just gets it. Like He doesn't need anybody to explain Frodo to him. He's the one who's having to explain Frodo to everybody else who's too self-absorbed to realize what's going on. Yep, and Aragorn agrees with him and says, I believe you speak more wisely than any of us, Sam, and then says to the company, so what shall we do if Sam's right? And Pippin says, stop him, don't let him go. (laughs) We love Pippin. Aragorn pretty much says it's his decision at the end of the day. He is the bearer and he needs to make these decisions, but we do need to go get him now. Uh, because his hour is past. And Boromir turns up. Aragorn's like, oh, where have you been? Have you seen Frodo? (laughs) Hmm, I wonder if he's seen Frodo. I do have to hand it to Boromir. He realizes that the truth is going to come out anyway, and he just, he's kind of slow, but he does tell the truth, almost all of the truth. And it's not until he's pressed a little bit that all the rest of the details come out, but he does say, yeah, I was talking to him and then I lost him. He must have put the ring on. And Sam immediately knows that something bad has happened because there's no way Frodo would have put it on unless he was in dire need of wearing it. So Sam wants to go and find him. Aragorn insists on divvying them up, uh, but everyone just sort of splits. So Sam goes one way. Merry and Pippin sort of follow, but end up going another. Legolas and Gimli run off, and Aragorn says, We shall all be scattered and lost. Boromir, I do not know what part you have played in this mischief, but help now. So he sends Boromir after Merry and Pippin, figures Legolas and Gimli can handle themselves, And he runs off after Sam, and they all begin to look for Frodo. But Sam just pauses for a second and says, hang on, think. Get yourself into the mind of Frodo. What actually would he have done? I love this, that we we don't always think about Sam's powers of reasoning. I mean, we certainly talk all the time about his loyalty, about his 
good heart and and his devotion to Frodo for sure, and also that he's fun. But now we see just how important, like, he, he stops himself, he thinks through the whole thing, and he's like, there's only one place that Frodo would go, and that's to the boats. And he runs as fast as his short little legs will carry him. Mm. Coming, Mr. Frodo, coming, called Sam as he flung himself from the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. It's like, Sam's going to help Frodo by drowning. Good job, Sam. <laughs> so Frodo, the first step of the next part of the quest is we got to rescue Sam first and then we can go on the quest. <laughs> I love that though because yeah the Frodo still has the ring on so there's just this boat paddling itself out into the river and Frodo quickly rushes back and grabs Sam by the hair and Sam save me Mr. Frodo I'm drowned. I can't see your hand. <laughs> I love I love that love 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 it. I don't, has Frodo called Sam his lad before? I swear he hasn't. Up you come, Sam, my lad. Here it is. Don't pinch, lad. I won't let you go. Frodo is able to pull Sam into the boat. Of all the confounded nuisances, you are the worst, Sam, he said. <laughs> I was going to say, and he pulls Sam up and Sam says, where would you be by now? And Frodo replies, safely on my way. <laughs> No lies detected. All alone and without help, without me to help you. I love Sam. <laughs> and Sam is really hurt. And Frodo says, of all the confounded nuisances, you were the worst, Sam. And then Sam is like, oh, Mr. Frodo, that's hard. That's hard trying to go without me and all. If I hadn't guessed a right. And and I, I love that, that the, the worst offense that Frodo has committed so far is not putting on the ring or any of this other stuff. It's trying to get away from Sam. And Sam is just like, I'm not letting you go because Frodo says, but I am going to Mordor. Of course you are. And I'm coming with you. I love that Sam also volunteers to knock holes in the, all the other boats as well so that no one can come after them. Uh, and Frodo's like, no, don't do that. We'll need it. And let's grab some stuff and go. And off they go. And then he says that Strider will have to look after the rest of them. And he doesn't suppose that they will ever see one the rest of the company again. And Sam says, yet yeah, we may, Mr. Frodo, we may. Well, Sam has his blessed earth from Galadriel that he's got to get back to the Shire. So I'm hoping that means that they at least see that hobbits again. I hope so. And sure enough, they head towards the eastern shore and go a little bit farther down the river and land on the southern slopes of Amon Law, drew the boat out and hit it, and then put their backpacks on and started walking down into the land of shadow. I love this these last two paragraphs because it, it says, So Frodo and Sam set off on the last stage of the quest together. And at the, the last line of then shouldering their burdens, they set off seeking a path that would bring them over the grey hills of Emin Mule and down into the land of shadow. So good. So good. Such a good ending. It's the ultimate cliffhanger. Kristen, I think I know, but I need to ask, who is your shout out this week? Well, I think the obvious choice is Frodo because he puts the ring on and gets into the boat. But then there's also Sam. It's very hard not to give character of the week to Sam because he 
is the one who saw all the clues, put all the pieces together about what was going on with Frodo, that he was really just scared to start. And then he figured out that Boromir had spooked him and that he was running to the boats. He manages to get in the boats. So there's that. But then there's also, I could do the sort of dark character of the week where it was actually Boromir finally playing his hand that was the catalyst because Frodo has been in analysis paralysis for several chapters now and unwilling to commit to walking onto Mordor. And it was Boromir's admittedly despicable act that was actually the story catalyst. So I'm going to kind of do eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And I'm going to say that the character of the week is Boromir because it was even his dark actions that actually propelled the story forward. Okay, no, you've caught me by surprise. I thought you were giving it to Sam. (laughs) I'm glad I still have a few surprises in me, Mel. I am giving it to Frodo for making the hard decision, for deciding it was time to go. Yes, there were external motivators, but the time had come. He had to make the choice, and as he said repeatedly, he knew what choice he had to make, and he finally did it. I'm giving an honourable mention to Sam. Excellent. I I have a feeling in the coming story, especially since it's just the two of them together now, I think Sam is going to get character of the week often. (laughs) So are you ready for prediction versus fiction? I'm probably going to hide my head behind my hands a little bit, but all right, let's let's hear what I said before. It's a short one. We're going to split the party. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I always start with a softball. So all right. (laughs) Aragorn and the hobbits will go with Boromir to Gondor following the river. Legolas and Gimli are going to Mirkwood. They are going to converse with the others on what they want to do. And then you made a long-term prediction. But yeah, the Legolas and Gimli prediction was always about them going to Mirkwood and then on to the Lonely Mountain to retrieve Orcrist. Well, we're just kicking that forward. I'll do some more... uh, kind of more far-reaching predictions about what I think is happening in future books next week on our fellowship wrap-up. Yes, so that's right. There is no predictions for Kristen this week because next week we are doing a book wrap-up like we did for the end of book one of the fellowship. So homework for the week is to reread the entire Fellowship of the Ring. (laughs) Well, actually, we had a little break in our recording schedule and when I finished the book I really 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 wanted to go on to two towers but I can't so I thought well what can I do I know I can listen to the entire audiobook and I had a extended period of time off from work and so I thought all right so I did so I listened to the whole audiobook between our recording of the last episode and now so I've been thinking about you know how how I've been doing so far in terms of picking up the breadcrumbs and deciphering what might be important information for the future, what might be red herrings, and what might possibly unwind in this incredibly long tale going forward. But you'll have to tune in next week to find out what that is. (laughs) We're all looking forward to it. So tune in next week for our big wrap-up. If anybody wants to submit for us a 
30-second recap of the entire Fellowship of the Ring, just for laughs, that would be great. And we are open to as many submissions as y'all want to send. So if we don't get any, we're going to start pinging you in the Discord and requesting submissions because those are super fun. I mean, Mel and I have our own lenses that we read this book through. And I, I have really enjoyed hearing what other people find as the most important things or, or you know, what uh, traits they decide to bring out. So uh, I, I look forward to that. I will just add in here and I'll say it again next week. We will be taking a short break after next week's episode just to get ourselves organized for the next book. But we'll be coming back pretty quickly. In fact, we'll be coming back on Hobbit Day again. That'll be our one-year anniversary, Mel. Can you believe it? We've been doing this almost an entire year. No, I can't believe it, but it's been so much fun and I can't wait to keep going. So one more episode of season two here, wrapping up the fellowship next week. And then after a short break, we'll start season three with two towers in September. Thanks for joining us. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podmoot. Our email address is podmoot at gmail.com and our website is podmoot.com. If you'd like to contact me personally, I'm at Mel Bickett on Twitter and Instagram. Kristen, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kristen Conducts. Norvera Mellon, until we meet again. Bye, y'all. Thank you.